situation. So that's where we, we come to with Nehemiah when we come into chapter 2. And we find in chapter 2 <coughs> that he knows that God is speaking to him. And I want to ask us a question tonight. Do we ever dream of things that God can do through us? Do we ever have that excitement and think about a work that God might do through us? Do we wake up in the morning and the first thing we think about is what is God going to do in my life today? How is he going to use me? And it's maybe an idea we've got that we want God to use us for. I think it happens a lot more when we're younger, if I'm honest. I can remember when I was younger and in the church I was in, we had a, an older brother who sort of cared for us, but he was very willing to allow us to do different things. When we came to him with some probably daft ideas, he encouraged us to use them. And we did, and we made one or two silly mistakes, but also we found great enjoyment in serving the Lord in that way, coming with ideas, and God used those ideas in our lives and in the lives of that fellowship at that time. As we grow older, sometimes, because we don't often see those ideas fulfilled, we sometimes stop dreaming. We just drift through, and day by day we do the same thing. I would encourage us that whatever age we are, it is right that we have a focus in our life, that we understand what God is saying to us, that God, it tells us in, in, uh, with Nehemiah, that God laid something on his heart. And God today will still lay something on our heart. He'll say to us, this is something I want you to do. This is something I feel that you should be doing. Perhaps not on your own, we'll come on to that. But I think it's, it's a shame when we lose that vision, that idea of dreaming about things that God can use us for. And when we're young, we've got a whole life ahead of us and we can get excited about it. When we're older, we perhaps think, well, there's not much time, but God can still use us. And I want us to think about how God used Nehemiah and how he can also use us today. Nehemiah knew what he wanted to do. It was quite clear that he felt that the Lord had laid on his heart that he had to go and help the situation in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew what his focus was, and yet he was a man who had no experience in this type of thing. We're talking about going to a situation and building a wall. Now, if Pam was here and asked her, I, I'm not a DIY man, right? I'm just, don't ask me to do anything. Um, and I think, I'm a, I believe Nehemiah was probably a bit like that. He was a cupbearer. He wasn't someone who was hammering nails, and he wasn't building a wall with, uh, with stones, but he was he believed that God has his plan for him to go back and restore these walls, even though they had no experience. But what he did do, and we thought about this last time, he prayed. And the period of time that he was praying was about four months. He was praying for four months about the situation that God had laid on his heart. And in chapter 2, which we're now going to read, we find that he started to speak to the king. So let's just read chapter 2 together and then we'll look at it in more detail. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, 
when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so I can, t- I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside me, him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and where will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so they will, have, they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel, by the temple and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God is on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of, of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sambalat, Horonite, and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with the others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal, sorry, the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the founding gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up to the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The official did not know where I had gone what I was doing because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding, so they began this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked me and ridiculed me. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We his servants will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. <coughs> so Nehemiah has spent four months praying, and we read at the beginning of this chapter how they had that short prayer, this arrow prayer we talk about when he's in the presence of the king. But that was a culmination of many months of praying that he was able to speak to God quickly and get a quick response. 
And I believe that during those four months of praying, Nehemiah was also planning. He had in mind what he wanted to do. He was beginning to prepare a plan, uh, a course of action. And why do we think that? Because when you look at his response to the king, when the king said, where are you going and how long will it take? He gave him a time. He already had in mind how long it would take to get there. When he says, what do you need? He says, I need a letter for the governors. I need a letter for the timber merchant. He had in mind what he was going to say, so he knew his plans. He was using those four months to pray and to plan for the work that God had given him to do. Now, this question of praying and planning is a good model for us, but we have to be careful not to do it in such a way that we take God out of the equation. If you think of the example of David and Samuel, where he, he thought he was going to build a temple, and he had the vision and he had the, the plans to do it, and then God said to him, you're not going to build a temple, but your son Solomon will build a temple. That was taken away from him. David moved on. He carried on. He didn't get upset by that. He adjusted to the next thing in his life. So the principle of praying and planning is a good one as long as we're always open to what God is saying to us and that God might redirect us and change the plan that we have made. So it's a good principle to start with. The second thing that Nehemiah did was he faced up to the facts that were before him. He didn't go into this totally blind. And we read in this chapter how he spent time walking around, examining the walls that had been broken down, examining the gates that had been set on fire. And he looked at them all. He did it at night. He did it on his own to start with. He didn't tell anybody what he was doing. He was just preparing himself. He wanted to know exactly what lay before him. And that is so important. If God lays something on our heart, it's right that we prepare for it. It's right that we examine the facts. The facts there were, were not good. It was a devastating situation. And the walls around Jerusalem were a symbol of the glory of God, and that had been pulled down. That was, that was um, not, it was a bad sign for God that these things were happening. It wasn't a, wasn't a good witness. And we look around us today and we see what's happening in the world. And we see in the same way that walls are coming down. The walls of Christian society are coming down. They're falling down. And that's not a good witness for God that that's happening. But it is good for us to be realistic and examine those situations. Know what is happening in the world. Not to put our head in the sand and say, well, we're not part of that and therefore we can ignore it. That's not what Nehemiah did. He faced up to the facts. And we need to face up to the facts of the situation that exists in the world around us and know the challenges that exist, the extent of the challenge. And he did keep it to himself. At this point, he wasn't sharing it with anybody. And again, I think if God has placed something on your heart, it is right that we quietly pray about it, we quietly plan about it, we look at the facts. But we don't then keep it to ourselves forever. It says in verse 17 that he shared it with the, the he said, then I said to them, them being the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials who were going to do the work, he said to them, 
You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. We'll no longer be in disgrace. He now wants to involve other people to help him in this work. And that's so important, is it, to have, isn't it, to have um, people working alongside us. We're not lone rangers. We're there to work with our brothers and sisters. And he shared the work. He shared the vision he had. He shared the passion he had with those that were around him. Strength in numbers is a fact. Strength in unity is great. Don't if you, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a cycling race where they go around this velodrome and there's four bikes in each team. And they belt round and the one at the front is taking all the, the pressure of the wind resistance and the three behind are sheltering in the slipstream. And after a while, when the one at the front gets tired, he loops round to the back. Have you seen it? Yeah, I don't know what it's called. It might be called Kieran. I know one is called Kieran. Um, and the, the one then takes over at the front, and they take the, the pressure. And they keep doing this, they're belting around fast. And they're trying to catch, I think there's one team either side of the lap, they're trying to catch the other one up. But the point is, they're sharing the load. There's not one person saying, I'm going to do everything, and you can just follow me. They're sharing the load, they're working together. Henry Ford, who manufactured cars, said, coming together is the beginning, Keeping together is progress, thinking together is unity, and working together is success. When I was working, there was a, a thing which was called forming, storming, norming, and performing, right? It was, a, if you're working in a team, this is what the kind of training we got. You know, when I retired, it was great to figure out all these things. <laughs> but it was, at that time, it was so important, you, know, you, you thought, the first thing was, when you form a group together, you, you're forming. Different people are invited to come together for a project, whatever it might be. And the second stage in that is storming, because what you soon find when you put a group of people together, you've all got different ideas. You've all got different strengths, you've got different points of view. And there's, there's a little friction starts to happen. Happens every, almost every team, that will happen. There's friction, and that has to be worked through. And as you work it through, and you share ideas, you come to recognize it. There are different people in different teams who have different strengths. One of the, the definitions of one is like a plant. A plant is someone in a team who sits in a corner, listens to what's being said, doesn't say anything, just like a plant. But then you've got someone who's the, the motivator in the team, and they can, they can hype everybody up, get them excited to do a project, but they haven't got a clue what to do next. So everybody's excited, bursting to do something, and no one knows what to do. But you've got someone else who's the organiser. And they can take that enthusiasm and put it together and organise it. So this is what becomes the forming stage as the storming stage moves on. And once you're at the forming stage and you understand each other's strength, then you become a performing team. Okay. <laughs> I know you're saying, well, we're not a business, we're a church. And I absolutely recognise that. Sometimes we can learn things, though, from outside because the same principles can apply. When we're working together, those things can happen, can't they? There can be friction. There can be difference of opinions. There can be different strengths, different gifts we would call them, that we have. And it's important that we recognize those gifts. And as we do that, as we work together, 
then there's a great strength and a great performance comes about because we're doing something together and we're doing it in the Lord's name. So he didn't keep it to himself. He shared it with others. But he also recognized that there is a danger that this becomes our project, our vision, our dream. And that's what I want to do. And no one's going to stop me doing it. And if you want to be with me in this, you're going to have to accept what I say. But Nehemiah reminds him that God is in control. God is the one we need to trust in every situation like this. So when we've got that vision, we've got that dream, then please stop. Don't stop dreaming because it's great to have those dreams of things that the, the Lord wants you to do. And you go through this process of examining the facts and, and, and praying about it and planning it and then involving other people in it. Let's remember that God is in control. In verse 18, I also told him about the gracious hand of my God on, on me and what the king had said to me. And what he was explaining to them was the conversations he's had with God, but also the conversation with the king. And when he spoke to the king, the king gave him permission in verse eight. He allowed him to go to Judah. In verse nine, the king provides protection. He sends cavalry with him to protect him on the journey. And in verse nine, he also, the king provides him with all that he needs, the letters he needs, that they can get the timber to build the gates again. So you're saying to them, we've got this plan, but the king has been given us a blessing. Now we have a far greater king than that, don't we? We have the Lord, we have the God Almighty who, who says to us, I give you permission. Sounds a strange thing to say, but he does. He gives us permission to do things in his name. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He's sending us out. He's giving us permission to go and do these things. He said, I have a plan for you, plans to prosper you. So God has in mind that to give us permission to go out and do things in his name. We don't need to hold back and think someone else is going to do it. We sometimes think that the work that we've got to do, the plans that we have, the ideas we've got, are tiny and insignificant compared with someone else's great ideas. And that puts us off. There was a, an American farmer who came over to Scotland and he was visiting the Scottish farmer. And this farmer showed him his farm. He says, is that it? He says, back home, he says, six o'clock in the morning, I get up, get in my car, and I head off in my ranch. After about two hours, I stop for a coffee in the car. Then I drive for another two hours, and we stop for lunch. And we drive till four o'clock. Four o'clock, I still haven't reached the end of my ranch. And the Scottish farmer said, I used to have a car like that. <laughs> Our dreams can be small dreams. Don't worry about other people's dreams. God has placed something on your heart. Let's use it. If God gives us permission to do that. He protects us, the, protect, the armor of God. And he provides for us with his Holy Spirit. He gives us all that we need to do the things he has laid on our heart. 
God is the same yesterday and today and forever. He doesn't change. So the God that we're reading about in Nehemiah is the same God we have today. And the people that Nehemiah spoke to in verse 18, they replied, let us start. That's great, isn't it? He tells them what he wants to do. It's a, a massive task. And they just say, come on then, let's start. And that's what we want, isn't it? That's what we want brothers and sisters to be enthusiastic when someone shares a vision, shares an idea that we want to do. And I, I, I don't want to specify what those might be because it'll be different for each one of us. But there's all sorts of things that God will lay in our heart as a work for him. And as when we hear that, let's not be people who poo-poo these ideas, but let's be those who say, okay, when do we start? Let's start. And fin finally, Nehemiah does face opposition. Whenever God starts to work, let's be sure that Satan will start to work also. Let's not be surprised when opposition arises. And the opposition arises in people like Sambalat and Tobiah. And they come along and they start criticizing, they start mocking. And that will happen. You know, these people were actually quite closely connected to Nehemiah through marriage. And very often, sadly, the greatest opposition can come from within. And it's something we must guard against. When someone is enthusiastic for the Lord, let's not in any way undermine them and make them feel that it's insignificant. Paul, in his writes in Corinthians, he says, because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. He knew there was great opportunities ahead, but he also knew that many people would oppose him. But we've got God on our side and that is important, isn't it? So let's encourage one another. Let's keep on dreaming. I mean, when I say dream, I don't mean nightmares. I mean dream as in thinking about what God has laid in our hearts, something exciting that he wants us to do. And let's prepare ourselves for that. Let's pray about it. Let's share it with others. And recognize that there is going to be opposition, but God will prevail because it's his plan. He's in control. He's the one that's given us the idea. He's just using us as his people. And that's wonderful that we are chosen to be used as part of God's plan. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, we thank you that you are a God who is the same yesterday and today and forever, a God that we can totally trust in. We can put our faith in and we can rely on. And we just pray that you would help us all to dream dreams, to have the ideas that you place in our hearts and that you wouldn't allow us to put them to one side but help us to fulfill those through your power and your strength. We pray that it would help us to be encouragement to one another. We thank you that there's so much work to be done and we just pray that you'd help us to be used in your service to fulfill your plans and that the Lord Jesus himself will be glorified through what we do. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.